That's awesome. Chainsmokers, Coldplay, Coffee, and Cookies. What more could you want on your Sunday morning? It's fantastic. Uh, my name is Jordan, and I have the opportunity to share with you today, and I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, thank you, guys, by the way. Uh, also, thank you to... Uh, is Piper in here, or she's cleaning up the cookies? Th that, that whole cookie thing this morning is organized uh, by a 16-year-old girl, just so you know. Uh, somebody who just is passionate about serving the community. So you can thank your cookies. Uh, there's a lot of different parts that, that make that thing work, um, but organized and uh, volunteers are all found by a 16-year-old. Um, so if you're not serving, there's some incentive to get involved in this community. Um, but I get the uh, opportunity to work with our, our high school students here, and it's uh, the most rewarding thing in my life, and I, I don't say that lightly. It's, it's truth. Um, here at Soul Sanctuary, I just want to let you know that there's a place for you. Uh, no matter where you come from, what your background is, um, what you are familiar with, anything, Jesus loves you, and there is a seat here for you every Sunday, and there's a place for you to be involved during the week in this community. Um, and before we get to our, our teaching text today, um, I just want to prom promo something. Speaking of youth, um, I, I get to work with our high school students, and that being said... The last week of August, if you know a student, grade 9, 10, 11, or 12, who needs to be at camp this morning, or this, this morning, who needs to be at camp this summer, or needs to meet Jesus, invite them to Wildlife Camp. Wildlife Camp is uh, our, our youth group here at Seoul. We host Wildlife Camp, and we bring together a whole bunch of high school kids uh, for what we say is going to be the best week of your life. And the best thing about Wildlife Camp is that it happens every year, so every year you get a new best week of your life. And if you can ask any of the students in the front row who have been there, they will all vouch for it. But if you know somebody who needs to be at camp this summer, uh, invite them. Come talk to me. Go to the Welcome Center. There's little postcards that have all the information on it. In the same respect, we sponsor a lot of kids to go to camp. Uh, not everybody has the means to go to camp. It's not cheap. It's 270 bucks for the week. Uh, if you have the means to send a student to camp, we're looking for seven sponsorships at this point. Uh, so come talk to me or just put it right into the joy basket. Say wildlife camp on it and, and drop it right in. It's 270 bucks for a student to go to camp. And we're looking for about seven sponsorships at this point. So with that all being said, uh, I'd just like to pray. So Father, I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to share with this community. God, I thank you for your extravagant love and your grace, and I thank you for your word that we can learn from, Father, that through it you teach us new things every single day. So speak to our hearts, touch our souls, and engage our minds. We want to hear from you this morning. Amen. So our passage today, we're back in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, and we are concluding the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've been at Seoul for the last little bit, you would know that we've spent the last like two to three months in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And today we conclude it. We're at the end. And it's a journey to get to this point. But today we cap it all off. We summarize everything and we explore again the teachings of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is the section of the Bible where, where Jesus, and specifically in Matthew's telling of what happens here, Jesus is on a mountainside, and he, he, there's crowds of people everywhere. But what he does is he pulls together his 12 closest disciples, and for three chapters, he speaks. And if some of you have a Bible, and, and the words of Jesus would be highlighted in red letters, some Bibles are like that, I, 
It's three straight chapters. It's page after page after page after page of Jesus talking, Jesus teaching. And we're going to get to the significance of that in just a little bit. But I want you to open your Bibles with me, or you can follow along on the Bible in the sky. It should be there as well. But we're going to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and onward. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. And this is Jesus speaking. Remember, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, the last two verses are verses where Matthew adds in his commentary. And in these two verses, Matthew sums up the whole of the Sermon on the Mount Chapter 5, 6, and 7, the only words not spoken by Jesus. And he says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The people noticed something about Jesus. There was something distinct in who Jesus was, in his character, in the way he spoke. Jesus had something unique about him. And as we move to explore this passage today, if you're taking notes, which is a smart thing to do, is you write things down and you can go over them during the week as you study in your own personal devotional life, you can call this passage either, you have two options, the Upside Down Kingdom, we're on part 21 today, or you can simply call this Always Only Jesus. Human beings, you and I, we are drawn to rules, to regulation, to order. We like having our things, and especially me, who is a, like, a recovering and confessing type A personality, uh, we love to have things listed, just simple. You know what? Give me the instructions. No, just tell me step one, step two, step three. This is why we get frustrated with Ikea, because it's just images, and we're like, we don't get it. Just like, just spell it out to me so I can do it. And this is the thing that is dangerous, actually, about when we come to the scriptures. Because when we come to the scriptures, and in fact, if you read the subheadings from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, we could easily interpret those subheadings in the text, which are added by translators after to kind of break up the passage. We can easily interpret those subheadings to be a list of rules and regulations. It might say something, back in in May we talked about murder. It might say, do not murder. Okay, well great, you know what, I'm not going to murder, I'm going to put that on my list, I'm going to be a good person, great. Okay, it might say, do not commit adultery, fantastic. I can be a good person by not committing adultery. It might say, I give to the poor, okay, you know what, I'm going to make sure I work into my budget, giving to the poor, budgets, because we're type A personalities, right? Anybody live by the budget, die by the budget? That's me, All right. So with all this being said, though, we can interpret... Jesus' words as a list of rules. And in fact, this is what's natural to us. But Jesus himself does something very interesting. He doesn't actually give us a set of rules in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us purpose for our lives. And, And it's significant what Jesus teaches us here. He gives us two paths to follow in this text. At the end of everything that he said, he boils it down to you are one of two people. He says, in the end, 
At the end of everything, there's going to be a house that after the storms have battered it, and after the waters, the flood waters has, have swept underneath it, it is still going to be standing. Or, the other option is that after the storms have blown against the house, and after the waters have risen, the house will be washed away. He's talking to his disciples here. He says, you are going to be one of two. And what's the difference between the two? The difference is the foundation. What is the house built upon? And I will be the first one to admit that I am not a construction person. All right? You can tell, like, I got my jeans cuffed and my, and my, my uh, Apple Watch. I, 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 give me a MacBook and a Starbucks and I'll work. Okay? Don't give me a hammer and a nails. I'm not terrible. Okay? I've installed hardwood floors once or twice. But that's the extent of my construction knowledge. They'd be ripped up anyway. Um... Or Jesus talks about the foundation. What I do know from my friends with tan skin and, and firm handshakes is that foundation is important. When you are going to build something, it has to be built upon something that is strong. And Jesus sends us this message here, and he is so direct with it. Because a compromised foundation, if you've ever bought a house with a compromised foundation, I'm sure you're, yeah, you've been there. It's going to cost you a lot of money. A house with a compromised foundation is a big issue. And anything with a compromised foundation, as Jesus is putting it here, if you don't build on the solid rock, you're going to be washed away when the storm comes. And, and Jesus re-emphasizes this. And the most important part of this is that we actually see Jesus talking about it throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He, kind of, he says there's one way to do things. And this is the way of the law. But here's another way. This is the way of my new covenant with you. This is the way of grace. This is the way of my love for you. And it's going to hold you to a higher standard. And Jesus simply tells us, after everything in the Sermon on the Mount, those who practice, those who practice what I am telling you, build upon the strong foundation. They build upon the rock. So this morning you need to ask yourself, and we all need to ask ourselves, are you more concerned with the outside of the house, or are you concerned with the foundation that it's built upon? As followers of Christ, we must build our lives on knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. When Jesus teaches us, or when he summarizes the Sermon on the Mount in this passage, he tells us, you know what, follow me step by step, and I will lead you into deeper things. Consider the words that I have for you. They're important. And not only consider them, build your life upon them. And last week, Pastor Jerry, he touched on this verse. And it's where Jesus says, I never knew you, despite the fact that you thought you knew me. And this should scare us a little bit. We, we should have this understanding, not just to know God, but does God know us? And that's a question that we need to wrestle with ourselves. Our, our purpose in this life is to be known by God and to know God. And Paul says it in Galatians 4.9. He says, now you know God. Or rather, you are known by God. So how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? No, no, no. You've experienced God. You have not just a knowledge, a head knowledge of God, but you have a heart knowledge of God. And he has that knowledge of you. And Paul, speaking to the Galatians, says, how can you then go back once you've experienced this? 
And Jesus has outlined our purpose for life in this passage. He says, know God, be known by God. And how do we do that? Well, the last three chapters that we've studied together gives us that roadmap, gives us those explanations. Go back in the podcast and listen. Listen to the, the, the words of Jesus are. You know what? Open your Bible, Matthew 5, 6, 7. Learn the words that Jesus is referencing in this passage. What stares at us in the face, again, is that Jesus speaks of two houses that probably look similar, but the difference was underneath. The poor foundation fell down with a great crash. And in my early years, I grew up in a church context that was primarily rule-based, from what I can recall. Sunday school taught us do's and don'ts, and it was often depicted that the, the, the grand stories of Old Testament heroes uh, on flannel graph. If you remember flannel graph, I just remember that they were fuzzy and they stuck on something fuzzy. And they were usually Old Testament people. Um, I'm sure there was Jesus with a lamb over his shoulders and everybody was white. And that's how the flannel graphs worked. And then this is kind of how I learned about Jesus. Uh, and, but it came down to the rules, the lists, the do's and don'ts. It was all about making sure you had a collared shirt on on Sunday, that everything was buttoned up, that your shoes were tied, that you sat in the front row and that you did not swear. That was my growing up experience in the church. And my, my later church experiences began to deconstruct these do's and don'ts. When I realized that my salvation was not based on whether or not I swore, or whether or not I drank alcohol, or, or all these little nuanced things that we can make them, or, or, or try to make our salvation about. It was when I learned that salvation was actually just a lavish gift of grace from Jesus. And there was no tithe that I could pay to pay off that. That it was a gift that I had to learn to freely receive. And my, my early church experiences when I was young were spent making sure that the outside of the house looked really good. That it was nice and clean and polished. All the while neglecting the fact that that foundation was to be built on grace and love. And it took a, a maturing process of my own heart to get to that point where I realized, okay, foundation. The grace of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus. I'm going to build upon that. And let me ask you this morning, as you sit here, are you concerned about the outside of the house and what the outside of the house looks like? Or are you more concerned about what your house is built on? Are you more concerned about your foundation? Uh, are you concerned about what other people think of you when you walk into a place like this or when you go about your daily life? Or are you concerned about whether or not God actually knows you? This morning, I was in the Starbucks drive-thru, and uh, I was like, man, like, it's perfect when real-life situations play out perfectly as a sermon illustration. Uh, every single thing I, uh, we go through, my wife and I, like sometimes we'll be in a car accident or something crazy, and we'll be like, okay, give this five years, and it's going to make a perfect sermon illustration. This one took all of three hours. I was in the Starbucks drive-thru, and uh, I, I was waiting, and the lady was lovely, and everything's great, and I'm the only one in line. And uh, she hands my coffee, but before she hands me the coffee out the window, um, I can see that the coffee's spilling over, and she just conveniently turns the coffee and gives me the clean side. And I had that moment where I knew the clean side's coming at me. That looks like a great cup of coffee. And as I took it, I knew the back was wet. And I, I had that moment, like, do I ask for another cup? Do I get a new lid? But no, no, 
No, I, of course, just like a good passive Canadian, kept driving and, and out of the drive-thru. But it's that moment where we put the clean side forward, right? Where, where we, we, put the, we, we put the exterior forward and we neglect what's underneath. We neglect the foundation. We have to ask ourselves, is your faith just about having sound doctrine so that you can make great theological Facebook posts and debate with people? Is, is your faith just an emotional investment in worship music? Is that all it is? Is your faith just about the identity you find in setting up chairs or serving coffee here in the community? If that's all it is, Jesus is letting us know that we are impending a great crash. That we are in danger. So again, ask yourself the question, does Jesus really know you? Verse 26 tells us that you and I can have the best looking house, that we can be flawlessly moral. We can be the family that dresses the kids up for church on Sunday. You can be the leader of a life group. You can be involved in the community, but still not have a foundation. Jesus tells us, if you hear my words and put them into practice, then when the storms of life come, and in the end, not only will you withstand that storm, but your house will still be standing. To put Jesus' words into practice means to live a life, not as his words as rules, but as his words as life as in the core of our being, being daily transformed. And what it ultimately means is asking the Holy Spirit to align our personal will with the will that he has. As a natural result of having Jesus at the center, you've desired to flee from the evil that Jesus talks about and to instead practice everything he taught. It works from the ground up. We don't change the behaviors. We don't, we don't work behavior modification first. No, we work at the heart. And as a result, when a heart is changed, behavior flows out of that. And that's something that's important for all of us to recognize here today. So again, ask yourself, is Jesus the Lord of your will? Have you given every single part of your life to him? Have you given your vocation to him? Think about it. You go to work every day, presumably, or you have something that you do during your day. Have you given that to him? Uh, in the fall, we're, or I'll be teaching a course in the, in the school of ministry uh, that is about just evangelism and, and living out your faith and telling others about Jesus. And what does that look like in the 21st century North American church? But I like to think that every follower of Christ is a full support missionary at their job. They are paying you to be there to tell people about Jesus. They're also paying you to do your job, which you need to do your job with excellence. But if you are a follower of Christ, if you listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 5 to 7, and in the rest of the Gospels, as he explains what it means to be a follower of him, you're getting paid to tell people about Jesus at work. Have you given your vocation to him? Is he the Lord of your will? Have you given your sex life to him? Are you cheating on your spouse, or are you walking in what he has planned for your sexuality? Are you watching porn five times a day, or are you walking in what he has planned for your sexuality? And again, it comes down to the heart. 
We don't change the behavior first. We're looking at the heart. Where is your heart? Is your heart built on what he says to us? Your relationships. Do you idolize the it crowd? Do you want to be a part of something? And you're hanging out with those people and you're compromising who you are as an individual to be accepted by them. Have you given your relationships to him? Is he the Lord of your will? These are questions that we have to wrestle with. We have to ask ourselves. Have you submitted your will for your life to his will for your life? That's the question. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like, again, I was talking about the subheadings in the Bible, and we like to separate things. We like to chunk it, right? We get, we, all right, subheading on murder. Great. No, it's not the sermons on the Mount, though. It's the sermon on the Mount. This is all one. Everything that we're studying today in that tiny little passage goes back, and it, it summarizes everything Jesus has talked about to this point. And what's important in that, if we look back just three verses to Matthew 7, 21, it says, those who do the will of the Father are those who enter the kingdom of heaven. The scariest, most uncomfortable place for your personal flesh, your, your human body to be, is directly in the will of God. But it's the same place that your soul and your spirit will soar when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have to remind ourselves that here's the fact. At the end of the day, each one of us will make a decision. We'll make a decision to embrace the will of the Lord for our lives or to run from it. And which will you do? Embracing his will for your life might mean a whole bunch of things. And if, uh, if I speak purely transparently and honestly to you this morning... If you know me, I have my hand in a whole bunch of different vocational pots. Um, graduating from university as a teacher, my wife and I own a video company, we just, and I, I work here at a church. It's like, I do a whole bunch of different things. And for a long time, I, I, I prayed, Lord, just like, like, kick down all the other doors and just give me the one door to walk through. Like most millennials, I have had many vocational crises, all right? Like, I don't know exactly where, but with, or, or I had a conversation with a friend this week. And we talked about this. And as opposed to uh, the Lord just kicking down the doors and, and showing me which one to go through, I've learned that through studying his word and through relying on him and, and through growing closer with the Holy Spirit in a day-to-day -day relationship, that he's really transformed my desires and transformed my passions and made it so clearly for me. It was not a big, booming voice that came out of the sky, but it's a still, small voice of the Spirit leading and guiding, where my passions were refined, where I knew that, that everything in my life, not, not, not just vocationally, but every single part, and vocationally, it's what the answers I was really looking for. It was transformed into an uncontainable desire to just share the gospel with people. And that made it simple for me. So are you ready to make, the, to make God the Lord of your will? No matter what that ends up looking like. No matter where that ends up taking you. And I said it before, the thing about Jesus is he works from the bottom up. We lay the foundation of a life following him. And it's through that foundation that the life is then changed. That the outside of the house can then stand up against the storms. You can't practice what Jesus taught. Listen very closely. You cannot practice what Jesus taught unless you are willing to follow him wholeheartedly, 
unless you are willing to be consumed by him. Our culture, we just like to add Jesus. Pastor, I think Pastor Jerry said it last week or the week before. You know, I just like Jesus' light. Jesus doesn't give us the option of Jesus' light. To follow Jesus means to be consumed by him. Because if we try to follow him without allowing him to start in our heart, it turns into religiosity and rules. And, and this is... What's interesting, it's that faith is the bedrock and it will impact every area of your life. Anything else is fruitless religiosity. And the, the next question, the natural question to ask would be, well then how do I make Jesus the Lord of my will? Okay, I want that. I want to follow the teachings of Jesus. And I don't want to be a religious drone who just goes through it for the sake of going through it and shining my shoes and buttoning up my shirt and coming to church on Sunday. I don't want that. But then we're on the right track. So how do we make him the Lord of our will? We find our answer in verse 28. When again it says, When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. What Matthew believes to be of greatest importance in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is the impact of Jesus himself. The most important thing here is not the content of the sermon. It's not do not murder. It's not do not commit adultery. Those are all great things that Jesus is teaching. But the most important thing that the writer Matthew emphasizes is who Jesus is. He has a conviction that his words change lives. That following him determines destiny. Jesus speaks with a confidence. His words are ringed in silence throughout the whole three chapters. Jesus Christ, the person, the divine person, is the most important part. It's his authority that, that impresses upon Matthew as he writes this account. And at the end of the sermon, it's Jesus's authority and, and his relationship to the man he calls, or the, the being he calls my father. What we know today is his deity, the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God, that is the most pressing fact. It, it's Matthew 5-7, to seven, right? Throughout again, only one character opens his mouth. There's no vocal response from his disciples or from the crowds. Consider the implications of this. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching, and this affects, focuses all his attention on the teacher. It implicitly impresses upon us as readers Jesus' importance, Jesus' authority. When Jesus speaks, people listen. Growth in your relationship from God can only come from personal devotion to Jesus Christ. This is how we make him the Lord of our will. If you're ready to come to the point to say, you know what, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it by myself. I need you, Jesus. I want your will for my life over my will for my life. I want to be the house that at the end is standing after the storms pass then it's time to dedicate your life to personal devotion, to get to know Jesus, but to also be known by him. Religion is just going to simply uh, prescribe you sins to avoid. 
It's going to give you the criteria for the people that you can and can't hang out around. But Jesus says, no, I want a relationship with you. Because religion is the act of what you do. But relationship is who you are. Religion will give you the rules, but Jesus wants to take you on a walk. Read from, Psalm, or from Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the Jesus that we serve. Bruxy Cavey, a pastor and author, he says about the Bible, The Bible is not a painting to be looked at, but a window to be looked through. And through that window, we see Jesus. From the beginning to the end, the story of Jesus is magnified. Right throughout the text, we learn about God and his character and, and what it meant for him to send Jesus to earth. And then we can learn the teachings of Jesus through the Gospels, through, through the Sermon on the Mount and more. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be dedicated to him, to know him, but also to be known by him. So I have to, again, ask you, what is your next step in your relationship with Jesus? What is your next step here? What's your next step in building a foundation that stands against the storms? Maybe you've been journeying along and, and you've come along this path with, with Jesus in some shape or form, but you, you, you have to come to the point to actually give your life to him. For lack of a better term, just to, be, to become a Christian, Maybe you haven't, you haven't made the gospel the core that guides your life yet. Maybe that's your next step here today. Maybe you've accepted Jesus, and now it's time to get baptized. and It's time to show your friends and family and though, you know, your faith community here that, yeah, you know what? I'm dying to my old self, and I am pursuing life with him. Maybe it's time to pick up the Bible and to start reading it again. Two weeks ago at First Wednesday, uh, I spoke about three simple principles for a devotional life. The first one was commitment. To pick a time and date. To study the Bible. To be regular in this. To make it a priority. To make it a habit. And people will sit down in my office and tell me, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. You know what? I can't commit to that. I'm too busy. I can't do this. I'm too busy. And my response is always the same. We make time for what we care about. We will prioritize what we truly care about. Do you care about your relationship with Jesus? You feed your kid because you care about your kid. Your kid needs food. You feed yourself because you know you need food to survive. Do you need spiritual food? That's the question you have to ask. At Psalms 5.3, it says, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. Do you have that time in the morning, in the evening? You decide. The next one's clarity. If you don't know what you're reading, don't just skip over it. This, again, is going to turn us into religious robots where we don't understand what we read. Dive into the text. Seek to understand. When you have questions about your faith, don't just put them back there and ignore them. Actually get into the Bible. Dig deeper. Some things, like Jesus' instruction to not murder, are very clear. But when Jesus comes and explains the Last Supper and he says, this is my body broken for you, take it, eat it. He's not talking about cannibalism, right? These are things, these are simple distinctions we have to make. 
And then the third one was community. Commitment, clarity, community. Get involved in a life group. Start serving in the community and hang out. Rub shoulders with those, that you, with those who are here in this body of Christ. Do life together. Study the Bible together. If you're in grade 9 to 12, join us McDonald's on Keniston every Thursday as we go through the book of Luke and Acts in the summer. It's fantastic when you just, like, there's a table of Bibles and a whole bunch of young kids. People are walking in like, "Uh uh-huh, what's going on there? We're studying the Bible. Commitment, clarity, community. Understand the importance of a devotional life. If the band and the prayer team could come on up. The prayer team can head to this cross. Band, you guys can come on up to the stage. Christianity is free. Grace is free. But it takes the work, and it it takes work, and it's all up to you. Consider this for a moment. James 4, 7-10. I love this passage. James 4, 7-10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This passage is specifically talking about us turning from a life of sin. Where, where we have once operated without Jesus at the core of our being, and then we embrace life with Jesus at the core of our being. Uh, the joy that we find in the foolishness of sin is temporary, and it says, give that up. And the turning point is draw near to God, and He's going to draw near to you. Where are you in that journey? Are you off in your folly and your sin, neglecting Him? Or are you even further off from Him in the danger zone of being lukewarm, stuck in the religiosity. At what point do you turn and begin pursuing Him? The second point is to stop taking pleasure in the things of your own will and to pursue Jesus with all that you have because it's only Jesus who is going to change your heart. It's only Jesus who's going to liberate you from your addictions and the things that have enslaved you for years. It's only Jesus who can offer you grace and free you from guilt and shame because it is always only Jesus. I tell the students at Wildlife Youth all the time so that if you commit your life to following Jesus, if you commit everything about you in these very pivotal teenage growing up years to following Jesus, then he will take you places that you could have never have gone on your own. You will see things that you could have never seen on your own. You will experience a life that you would never have experienced when you are following Jesus your own will. Jesus simply says, come to me. That's what he says. Come to me, all, everybody, come to me. That's what he wants from us. That's what he asks of us. And are you ready for that adventure? Are you ready for that wild ride in the center of his will? I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with me.
band's going to play a simple song. And it's a song that's been sung in the church for hundreds of years. It's called Amazing Grace. And as they sing, consider the impact of the grace that Jesus took you from your religiosity far over there. He took you from uh, your sin. And he says, a life with me will transform you. A life with me will take you places you've never been. Both figuratively and literally. That's what he invites us into. And that's the exciting part of a relationship with Jesus. That's the part where, where I can look at somebody and I can say, before my life with Jesus, this is who I was. But then I met Jesus. And this is who I am today because of the fact that I can walk in the amazing grace that we're going to sing about. Wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to head to the prayer team if you need to take that next step. If you're like, you know what, today I need to become a follower of Christ. Today I need to become a Christian. I need to dedicate my life to him for the first time. Then I'm going to ask you to go to the prayer team. And somebody there is just going to pray with you as you accept Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Maybe you came with somebody today. Uh, Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, whatever it is. And that person knows you. Maybe you need to look at that person and just sit down as the song sings and be like, you know what? This is the next step I need to take. I have been living so far in the rules and religiosity that my house is really squeaky clean on the outside, but I know when those storms come that I'm going down. And, and today, right here, before you leave the doors, begin to build the foundation that is a life dedicated to Jesus. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your son sent down for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. We are thankful beyond words. And God, I pray that your word speaks to us today and challenges us. That as we leave from here, we don't leave the same as we came. That we have an understanding of what you ask from us, God. That we can know you and to be known by you. We want deep relationship, not rules and religiosity. We want a heart transformed by you and by the power of your Holy Spirit living through us. So I thank you. In times of old, the one who gave a blessing lifted their hands and those receiving a blessing did likewise. So if you'd like a blessing this morning, raise your hands with me. And may God give you the grace To not only be hearers of his word, but doers. To not only admire his word, but to obey. To not only profess his word, but to practice. To not only love his word, but to live it. May you learn from Jesus and receive it into your hearts and show it in your lives. Be blessed and we'll see you next week.